Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Chapter 90 and verse number 10. And then we're going to go to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 20. And I pray the hand of the Lord will just rest on us today. Amen. What a privilege to know him. What a privilege to know him. The book of Psalms, chapter 90 and verse number 10, is just a foundation upon which I hope to build something with the help of the Lord in our heart. Um, let's begin reading. The Bible says, Psalms 90 and 10, and, as, and the days of our years are threescore and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Realize that is a relative statement. What David is really saying here is that the number of our years are 70 or if by reason of strength they are 80. And if you're 16 or 20, 70 or 80 years just seems like three lifetimes away. But if I could just shake you today and tell you that it is moving so much more quickly than we can possibly imagine. So that's why David says, for it's soon cut off and we fly away. It just seems like a tale that's been told. The Bible says in verse 11, who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And with the help of the Lord this morning, I want to preach to you from that 12th verse, simply this, number our days. Teach us to number our days. Lord, I love you today. Very, very thankful and very honored to be able to stand before this great congregation. And I pray that your anointed word will find a place in our heart, a place that's fertile, a place that's tender, I pray that we'll shut out the cares of life for just a season and let your voice speak expressly to our hearts and our lives here today. And for that, we will be eternally grateful because we will be eternally moved. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. And you may be seated. I've really not come this morning to try to paint our world gray, but I have come with a reminder of an undeniable truth because you see often we just want to kind of look at life in the grand scheme of things and only view that that we feel is pleasant and um, you know there's a, a kind of a running joke among us that if someone is saying something we don't want to hear we stick our fingers in our ears and and start making weird noises and we think that somehow that's just going to remove something out of our life that we don't want to experience. And uh, so I haven't really come to be 
down or negative, but there is some truths that are in our path, and that is in the path of every single one of us. And it's truths that we are going to have to reckon with at some point. And so David says that we are to number our days. I have um, seen many variations of this, but on the internet, of course, you can find clocks and uh, of some sort and countdown clocks, live clocks. They're referred to as many different things, and you can put in your age now and and uh, your expected time of departure. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. Somebody said, what, what about that not painting our world gray part? Did you, 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 you didn't hear yourself say that? And, uh, but uh, I've never been brave enough to want to have that kind of clicking in the background, but it is a pretty sobering thought when you see uh, these events and how quickly they can approach you. I do use a couple of programs when we have upcoming events for our church that it serves as a countdown and the same purpose. And it's just amazing that no matter how far out you plan something, it just seems like it's forever and a day removed. But uh, those, those reminders that it's getting closer and closer and closer, and then all of a sudden it's just 90 days away or 60 days away or 30 days away. And it's just a reminder that we have to move. We have to be, we have to be pretty conscious about uh, what we're doing. We, we, have to, we have to be aware of our surroundings and where we are and, wh and what we're doing. Amen. And so I think when David is referring to this, there is a simple truth that we should number our days. We ought to be conscious and aware of where we are. I want to turn your attention to another passage this morning, and it's a, it's a most unique story that I believe will unfold for us and well worth uh, consideration it's a unique story, but it has a very powerful truth. And that is found in 2 Kings chapter 20. And uh, really, in, in all truth, I suppose we could consider the chapter in its entirety, but for the sake of time, we're just going to look at the first six verses and uh, read them, and then we'll refer to perhaps other events that, that happen in this chapter as we go. The Bible says in 2 Kings 20 and verse number 1, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Wow. How would you like to have Isaiah for a pastor? So he just knocks on Hezekiah's door and says, I have a message from the Lord. And the Lord says to tell you that you need to set your house in order because you're going to die. Now, we know that it's appointed to man to die, but this is a different, this is altogether different uh, story here. He says you're going to die so, and not live. So the scripture says that this was Hezekiah's response. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart. And I have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, afore Isaiah was gone out to the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, turn again, and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. 
I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. Or in other words, he said, I'm gonna heal you and in the process of this healing, which is not going to be instantaneous, but in the process of three days, you're gonna be well enough to go to the house of God to worship. And then in verse six, he says, I will add unto thy days 15 years and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So in this passage before us, Hezekiah has a unique experience, one unlike most of us will ever encounter. Hezekiah looks at death. There was a warning from God, you're going to die and not live. And so when he has this experience, when he looks into the eyes of his undeniable future, he does so with a spirit of dread. Now we need to understand something about Hezekiah. He was one of the best kings that Israel ever had. And because of this, he speaks to the Lord in a certain fashion. When the word of the Lord came to Hezekiah, the Bible says that he turned his face to the wall and he started praying. And in that prayer, he started reminding God of his own goodness. He said, I want you to remember how I have walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart. Now, if you just read that word for word, line by line, that's a bold statement. He meant, I have walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart. Have done what is good in thy sight. That's, I've spent my whole life, I've spent every waking moment of my life doing that which is right. And so here was a great man who could say of himself that I have lived before you with a perfect heart. And yet when he was looking death in the eye, he looked at it with terror. We ought to be very careful how we read this passage because we all have the tendency to have the same exact response. Death has a horrible reputation and for the most part, we shield our eyes from it at all costs. We just kind of look the other way and try to think about it and I can certainly understand that, not being enamored with it, but with, by the same token, we can't ignore it. It is an inevitable part of life. And so if you think about it, Everything in life reacts to it to death the same way. For instance, a, a, a mere insect that we would think would have very, very little intellect, at least if we compare it to us, runs for, it, runs for its very life when threatened. An animal will fight with every ounce of strength that it has just to protect its very existence. But for us, the human race, we are the apple of God's eye, created in his image. We are the only ones that he breathed life into and so he gave us an intelligence level far beyond anything else as far as creation is concerned. And, and so it is very difficult for us to think about this intersection and the reason for that is pretty straightforward because we are the only part of God's creation that has the ability to contemplate this hour. Amen. How many dog owners we have in the house? Don't be ashamed. <laughs> Here's the next real tough question. How many cat owners do we have in the house? You, you know what they're doing right now? They're sound asleep. That is if they're not just tearing your house to pieces. <laughs> they, 
If they're not chewing your brand new pair of shoes, chances are they're sound asleep. They're not worried about what we're talking about here today. That hasn't come across the radar of their life. They're not concerned about that. But we, the human race, have the ability to contemplate this hour. We have the ability to think about that. And, and, uh, and, and there are times that in our lives as humans that we even see it coming. We know that it, without a miracle that it is inevitable. And that in and of itself, of course, is a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag because we are very attached to this world. I heard Brother Jerry Dean preaching several years ago at our camp meeting and he said many times in the course of one message, he said, you know, to be people who claim that this world is not our home, we sure don't live like it. We sure don't act like it because we drive our tent stakes deep into this thing we call earth and we invest deeply into this thing we call life and yet we say we're just pilgrims and strangers and like Abraham, we're just sojourning through this thing called life but we really don't live like it. I don't say that to sound insulting. I say that because in truth, uh, this world is the only home we've ever known. This is all we have ever known. And this robe of flesh, this is all I have ever known to place uh, the place that I call home. That may sound strange, but it's true. By the same token, we sing songs like in the sweet by and by. Amen, in the sweet by and by. And how that song causes us to think about just across Jordan's river. But I can tell you that very few people are in a hurry to get there, no matter how sweet it sounds. Consider, if you will, with me a man named Lot. When he was forced out of Sodom, yes, forced out of Sodom, the angels took him by the hand, leading his family out. When it came right down to it, he was unable to leave of his own strength and will. He had so many attachments there. There was so much there the Bible says that the angels had to compel and literally pull, if you will, and force him from that city. That may sound strange to you and I, but I'll promise you it only sounds strange to us because we know the rest of the story. If we were living this out as Lot was living this out one minute at a time, it would be very, very difficult for us to move out of our home as well. I remember in... 2008 when I was privileged to make a trip to Guatemala with several of the men from our church we were building a church building for a local congregation it just so happened that the pastor also lived if you want to call it that lived in a house beside the church or behind the church it was a little 9 by 17 shack covered with tin on the top and on three sides and one end was just covered with bed sheets. It was just a dirt floor. It was he and his wife and five children that were living in that small, I don't know what you want to call it. And so we had agreed to build them an apartment, maybe what we would call an apartment. And, uh, and so when we were building, or they were building, I'm speaking French here, when they were building... <laughs> When you're bilingual, you can just kind of slip in and out of those things. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I can feel these guys bristling up. We, we, <laughs> when they, <laughs> get your spirit right, get your spirit right. 
So when they were building the building, they had built all the way up to the pastor's home. They had framed the wall down the side and across the back of the new home. And yet, we couldn't convince the pastor to tear his house down. You need to move this out of the way so that we can build you a better home. And so we had, they spoke no English whatsoever. And there was a huge, obviously a huge communication barrier. Our missionary brother Brad Thompson, his son had been hospitalized. And so he was not on the job site. And it was just compounding the issue. But they had gone as far as they could go. And we just couldn't understand why wouldn't you move all this out of the way so that we can build you a better place. Finally, we were able to get a hold of Brother Thompson and he was able to communicate to that pastor and then he put it in language that we could better understand. He said, you have to, you have to realize that this is not much in your eyes, but this is all they have. And we're asking them to tear down your house and we're just absolute strangers now and we'll build you a nicer home. And so when you begin to think about that, in that light, it wasn't much, but it was all they had. It was all that they had called home. Perhaps, I don't know, but it's entirely possible that all five of those children were born right there in that little nine by 17 hut. Amen. And so when we think about this world and why wouldn't we want to leave here and go to where there are gates of pearl and streets of gold and where there is no more strife and no more sorrow and no more tears to be very frank with you, the reason we are so hesitant to let go of this world for that world is that we can't comprehend that world. This is all we have ever known. With all of its ills, with all of its problems, with all of its heartaches, and with all of its disappointments, it's all we have ever known. And so I think we ought to maybe give Lot a little wiggle room here when the angels had to pull him out. Amen, if you couple that with the words of Jesus found in Luke 17 and 32. It's just three words, but oh, what a powerful and pointed message they bring. When Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. I realize that we have placed Lot's wife in many different categories down through the years, but I wanna just, along this same train of thought today, uh, just challenge us and challenge our minds to think that it's possible that she wasn't in love with the evil. It's possible that she wasn't just in love with the sin, but maybe it's the fact that she had found herself in the grip of the only place she knew to call home. Amen, think about it. As evil as it was, it was the only home she had ever known, only permanent home she had ever known. And, and so it had been home to this homemaker for such a long time. And seemingly she just could not help but to look back one more time, one more time, even though it cost her her life. And so here's the sobering part of the story, that we too run the same risk. Amen, this world, I mean, if you think about this world and all the things that are going on that we know about, and then when you throw into that mix the grand possibility of many things going on that we don't know about, I'm supposing that some would say, what in the world are you attached to? I mean, what in the world are your roots so deep here for? Because why would you invest everything here when there is so much more on the other side? We talk a lot about being in the world, but not of this world. But I wonder if our life really is a reflection of that statement. 
I still feel compelled to declare today that we cannot get so attached to this world that we look longingly at it and forget that we are really living and investing in another world. Amen. There is something ahead of us and before us and the promises of that are all found right here. And so through a child of God, to that man or woman who has given themselves wholly to the kingdom and its cause. We really have nothing to dread, nor do we have nothing to fear. Hallelujah. Hezekiah looks at death, and by most accounts, I would say his reaction was normal. He's facing the same fate that every king previous to him had ever faced. As a matter of fact, he's facing the same fate that every king before him would face. But we just can't imagine us being there. We have invested ourselves as a church over the last many, many years. We made a concerted effort and amped up that, uh, that effort in 2008. But for many years prior to that, we had nursing home ministries. In 2008, we broadened and expanded those ministries in various other places. And, and so to most of us, we only met these people at this juncture of their life. We didn't know them as a young lady or we didn't know them as a young man. And so when you sit down and you hear their stories and, and when you sit down and realize that, you know, this wasn't really in, on their agenda. This really wasn't in their daytime or their plan book. This, this wasn't really where they ever thought they would be. But nevertheless, life had placed them right here and now they're walking down this journey. And so Hezekiah is standing there facing something that everybody before him and everybody ahead of him would face. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that it is appointed unto all of us to have this same, this same meeting. That means all men, not just the rich, but also the poor, not just the educated, but also the illiterate. I realize that we may not wanna think about this today, but that does not remove the truth that does not take it away. We may wanna close our eyes and maybe you wish that I was preaching about something else. Maybe you wish we were thinking about something else right now, but I'll promise you if we were, it would not remove one ounce of the truth of what I am telling you this morning, one day. And we don't know when that may be. God is gonna say that is enough and he's gonna call us home, collectively or individually. And nothing can change that fact. But what I'm driving at today is this. It's not whether or not we are going to face this day, it's how we are going to face this day. I want us to consider how Hezekiah dealt with the news. He was told, set your house in order. And when you're planning to take a trip, especially an extended trip, there are a lot of plans that have to be made. A lot of, you know, I've said many, many times, and I'm sure... There's a lot of people here that feel the same way. I don't really mind being anywhere. I just don't want to go there. If I'm going to be across the country, I don't mind being there, but it's all the, all the things that go into getting there. You know, many times we almost talk ourselves out of everything we do because we're just exhausted with all the planning and all the packing and all the things that go into that. 
at times the list almost seems overwhelming. Don't forget we have to do this before we leave. Don't forget we need to take care of that before we leave. Oh, by the way, did you make this phone call? Did you make that phone call? Did you pay this bill? Did you pay that bill? Because planning takes time and effort. Amen. Because of that, many, many people fail to make proper arrangements. For the most part, Sister Boyd and I have always planned our trips pretty carefully. We try to make sure we know where we're going and where we're going to be staying and things of that nature. And because our life is structured in so many ways to some degree, a few years ago, we were just kind of feeling a little whimsical and thought, you know, we're taking a few days off and we're just going to blow with the wind. You just can't imagine how relaxed we were as we were getting ready for this trip because where are we going? I don't know. And where are we going to stay? I don't know. And so we were just like teenagers. I mean, there was just the, the atmosphere in our home. It wasn't like any other trip we had ever planned because it was just going to be a blast and we were just going to take off. And so we, we threw a few clothes in the car and we took off and we, on the way, decided about where we were going. But we didn't realize that there was a huge event taking place in that area. <clears throat> And you couldn't beg, borrow, or steal, or buy a motel room. And then all of a sudden, at 10 o'clock at night, after you've been already rejected 12 times, no matter what you offer them for the room, <laughs> this whimsical trip, this, this wonder of wonders, just blowing like the wind and, and just rolling across life like a tumbleweed, that just seemed like the worst idea we had ever had in our lives. And the rest of that trip, we planned every minute. You call ahead and make sure they're going to be open. I know it says seven days a week and 24 hours, but we're going to call ahead. I didn't realize all of that. At that moment, it seemed fun. When we were driving down the road, it, the weight lifted. There just seemed something carefree about not knowing where we're going and not even knowing where we're going to sleep. But there came a time just a few hours later that was a hard lesson learned. I thought for a moment we really considered sleeping in the car. And uh, we really considered, I think Brother Toby put that better, residing in the car. I'm not sure we would have been, <laughs> been doing a lot of sleeping, but we considered that. But failing to properly plan for a few days off or a vacation, that's one thing. We live to talk about that we live to laugh about that. But failing to plan for eternity, now that's an altogether different story. And I am, am not just trying to be uh, unkind here today, but I will tell you that, that as carefree as your life may seem right now, this is fun. It just don't matter. I'll just do whatever I want to do and I'll live ever how I want to live and I'll just let the wind or society or I'll let fads and trends and fashions, I'll let that decide where I'm going and what I'm going to do. I'll let pop culture decide uh, my destiny or my fate. That may seem fine for a moment, but I will promise you there will be a day when you realize there's no room at the end, that all of a sudden that, that carefree living, all of a sudden doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, it will just make no sense whatsoever. We will be staring in the mirror and asking ourselves questions like, what was I 
thinking? What was I thinking? Amos 4 and 12 reads in part, amen, what a powerful, powerful pointed message. But Amos says, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Prepare to meet thy God. And so while we certainly need a plan for our future and we want a plan for the future of our children, we must, above all else, plan for our spiritual future. Amen. And the question that is on the table before us this morning is simply this, where will you spend eternity? If we were given the same orders as Hezekiah today, how long would it take us to really set our house in order. If the Lord showed up today and said, set your house in order. I won't mention any names for the sake of privacy. They're already gone. But for the sake of privacy, I had the opportunity to meet a man who in this life said that the Lord spoke to him and said these very words, set your house in order. Set your house in order. And so with great fear and trepidation, he began to do everything within his human power and ability to set his house in order and it wasn't many weeks later before he had a stroke, amen, and he wasn't ever the same person. Are you hearing me today? If the Lord came to us today, right now and said you better set your house in order, my question to you is how long would that take? How long would it take to gather up all the feathers that we've been so busy just scattering to the wind? How long would it take for us to gather up all of the things that we've just let go to another day. This command would bring many things to the surface. I think one question that would press the hardest against our conscience would be this, and that is, am I 100% sure that I am right with God? Am I 100% sure? Can I say with clarity that if the trumpet were to sound, or should God reach down and pluck me home today and into eternity that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I I have no sin and no guile in my life. Amen. Of course, that's not the only question. There are other questions for people that have the Holy Ghost. And that would be this. Are, uh, is your heart right? Have you got grudges against people? Amen. Are, you, are there things that need to be made right? I want to make sure all is well. Is there someone that we need to seek forgiveness from? Or is there someone we need to grant forgiveness to? That is a two-way street. Is there some unconfessed sin in our life? Is there some undealt with issue that I've just got to get that out on the table? Hear me this morning. I didn't come to this pulpit just to pat us on the head, but I believe the Lord would speak to us and say we ought to number our days. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Can we do that? <laughs> Hallelujah. What a great God. What a great God we serve. Amen. There is no better day than today to set our house in order. The very next thing the Lord said through Isaiah to Hezekiah was this, for thou shalt die and not live. I think to some degree we all realize that we face this imminent appointment, but have we considered it enough to do something about it? Psalms said, David said in Psalms 90, 10, he said the days of our years are threescore and 10. And if by reason of strength, they be fourscore years or 80, yet is their strength labor and sorrow for it's soon cut off and we fly away, we fly away. I would assure you today that if you were to talk to somebody that's anywhere near that category in their life, 
You talk to someone anywhere near 70 or 80 years old and they would tell you that it just went by so fast. It just slipped by so fast. As a matter of fact, if you are halfway there this morning, I will tell you that if the second half goes as fast as the first half has gone, there's merit to what this preacher is doing behind this pulpit today. There's merit to what we're doing as we consider the fact that we should number our days. Let me give you something to think about. Hezekiah began his reign at the age of 25, and he reigned, or he was king, for 29 years. That would place his death around the age of 54. But we can't forget that God granted him 15 years. So if you take away those 15 years that were added, that made Hezekiah only 39 years old when Isaiah knocked on his door. Just 39 years old, I think we would agree, the prime of a person's life. Especially a man who was the greatest leader or the one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever known. In the prime of his life. I mean, at the apex of what he is doing for the kingdom, without warning, without notice, Isaiah knocks on his door and said, I have a message from the Lord for you today. And he said, you need to set your house in order because you are going to die and not live. I mean, that's one thing to hear that if you're 80 or 90 or 100 years old, but if you're 39 years old and you look around and you think I've got so much more to live for than to die for, it's no wonder that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. It's no wonder that Hezekiah said, but God, what about all the good things I've done? What about everything that I've done for your kingdom? Amen, so what I'm pointing out here by just saying that is the fact that Hezekiah didn't get to that three score and 10. He didn't get to that 70 long before that 70 came. Amen, he, his number came up. Job 14, verses one, Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. I say today that it is time to set our house in order. Hallelujah. I know I say this often, but please hear me one more time. Maybe it'll stick this time. Maybe it'll lodge in your heart this time. Hear me now. There is not one thing that you're gonna have to give up to go to heaven that you won't eventually have to give up to go to hell. Amen, hear me, hear me, hear me. I'm not just trying to come up with a bunch of preacher language today, but I'm telling you that if it's some lifestyle you can't let go of, you'll let go of it one day. If it's just some, if it's just some vice or some habit, I just can't ever see myself without this in my life. Hear me, there'll be a day that won't matter. There'll be a day when that, when that order comes, set your house in order. When that language comes, there'll be a day None of that will matter. I know, I realize that with the economy and everything being what it is, we watch a lot of things very carefully. We watch the price of milk and bread and we watch the gasoline pumps and we bought gas while we were going for $3.09. I almost felt like dancing. And I remember the first time I paid $3.01. I was just, oh my Lord, I can't believe it. And now I find myself, I mean, we're almost high-fiving each other. We're, just, we're trying to figure out how to smuggle some home. 
We watch all of this because that's important to us. It, it gauges our lives and it, and, it, and, it, and it matters what we're gonna be able to do in other areas of our life. But I'm gonna tell you, if you leave this building right now and you stop by the hospice house in Lake City, I promise you if you just walk in any door, any random door, you just walk in there and you ask them if they're concerned, there is no worry about how high or how low. There is no concern about how much per kilowatt it's costing to leave these lights. No, 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 no. Because you see, there's something much larger on the table. There's something much more important on the table. And so I say, oh God, help us to consider, if we will, not that we're going to hear the message, but how will we respond? So David says, number your days. Number your days. The most precious thing we have, of course, is time. Just for the sake of comparison, let's consider something here. Consider the difference, if you will, and I'm not trying to throw rocks, I'm just making a point. If you can consider the difference between the response of Hezekiah and the apostle Paul when it came time to look at the end of their lives. Hezekiah turns to the wall and bemoans and wails and says, oh Lord, remember now how I have walked with thee in 2 Kings 20 and 3. And, and, and he said, I have walked with thee in truth and with a perfect heart. Oh, what a statement. And I have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. But if you compare that to the apostle Paul, when he penned these words to Timothy, his son in the gospel, in 2 Timothy 4 and 6, Paul says this, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I would just submit to you today that it was reversed. When Isaiah stood and was talking to Hezekiah, maybe Hezekiah had the tendency to want to put his fingers in his ears and say, I don't want to hear this. I'm not ready to hear this. But I think in the case of the apostle Paul, when he was talking to his son in the gospel, I think when Paul started talking like this, maybe it was Timothy who had wanted to put his fingers in his ears and say, I'm not ready to let my spiritual father go. But without blinking, without hesitation, Paul said, I'm ready. I'm ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. Hezekiah begged God to remember how he walked before him in truth, how he walked with him before him with a perfect heart and how he had done that which was right in God's sight. The Bible says that Hezekiah wept sore. That means he wept bitterly. He wept until there was no more tears and no more voice. However, Paul's reaction was quite the opposite. I am ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course and I I have kept the faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul, I believe the difference here is that the Apostle Paul had already set his house in order. He had already made his peace call and election sure. He had already made sure that everything was just right. I, I, I want to I check this area. I want to check the lock on that. I want to check the gate over here on this. I want to make sure I want to number my days. The one passage, this one passage is not the only reference, of course, to Paul's attitude toward eternity. 
eternity. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, Paul writes this, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Amen, he said, it's not a big deal. If I'm not here, I'll just be with God. If, if he doesn't take me, I'll get to continue my fellowship with you. But if he takes me, I'm just gonna be in fellowship with him. Oh, what a spirit and what an attitude he had. What a powerful testimony that serves you and I today. I'm gonna ask our musicians, if they will, to come. There is no way possible that we could talk about the story of Hezekiah without considering the events that unfolded after he was granted this gift of 15 more years. Now, I, I, I hope you caught this, but Isaiah came in and said, set your house in order, you're gonna die. And Hezekiah, Isaiah turns to leave. Hezekiah turns to the wall and prays. And the Bible says that while Isaiah is walking across the court, he's going back home. And the Lord says, Isaiah, go back. I've heard the prayer of Hezekiah. And you tell him, tell him that I'm going to grant his request and I'm going to give him 15 years. Hezekiah asked for a sign, if you can imagine. Isaiah comes back, knocks on the door. This is what the Lord said. He said, well, I, I'd sure like to leave that, but I need a sign. He said, well, what? He said, I want to set the degrees back so much, and that'll be a sign. So the Lord said, okay. So he sets it back. There's no way we could talk about this without stepping just a little bit deeper into this story because God answered Hezekiah's prayer. He grants him this extension and there's no one in this building that is more aware of the thin ice that I am standing on right now than me. But please stay with me for another few moments. I've often thought about this very passage of scripture when I was standing at critical intersections in my own life and standing with others at critical intersections of theirs. And so no matter how much I wanted to exercise this bold, unyielding faith, I always had to ground it and tether it to thy will be done. I know what this looks like to me. I know how this seems to us here and now. But God, we're limited to time. We're limited to this little piece of real estate we're standing on, but you're looking way down the road and you know what's best. You know what's best. Hallelujah. I, I wanna say something this morning and, and at the risk of it sounding cliche, it's intended for anything but that. But I would tell you, and this is the understatement of the century, that we really need to be careful what we pray for because God may just give it to us. I want to blanket my prayers with Lord, ultimately, ultimately, God, you have your way here. I don't know what the answer would be. So Hezekiah has 15 years, but now how is he going to use these years? Will he please God or will he live his life to please himself? It's been said by many writers that at this point 
forward. Hezekiah was living on borrowed time and nothing could be more accurate. God granted him 15 more years and during this time, some good things happened. One of those being the fact that God did as he promised. He delivered Hezekiah and the city from the Assyrians. He gave them victory over their enemy. However, there were some bad things that happened as well. It seems like that that Hezekiah lived out these additional years thinking only of himself. He got intoxicated on his own strength and his own power. And at one point, he brought the enemy into his own home and said, let me show you what we have to fight with. And he gave away every secret. He gave away every spiritual secret that he had. And when he did that, it brought judgment, not just to Hezekiah, but to his house. And there's a huge, huge difference. When you study this, you find the cost of that just went on and on and on. As tragic as this may sound, it's not so different from us today because God has blessed us with so much. And yet, how often we live our lives without giving one thought about those blessings. Another thing that we could consider, and I'm hastening to a close, but there's among many things, it's, it's a very interesting and worthwhile read if you will do this soon. I think you'll be challenged by it. But just one more thing I'd like to point out about something that happened in this 15-year span of time was the fact that Hezekiah had another son born to him. And that son's name was Manasseh. And Manasseh would take the throne and become the most evil and vile king that ever reigned over Israel. And so I challenge you today, be very, very careful how you pray. Of all the things that we possess, one of the most valuable items is time. We just don't have any more of that. I trust that we'll consider how quickly it's passing and do something about it. And I want to end where I began, Psalms 90 and 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In Jesus' name. Consider the next few moments with me, if you will. family so much. It's hard to believe that a young fellow should have to work 60 or 70 hours a week just to make ends meet. Oh, and it's too bad that you missed your daughter's dance recital, too. You know, it took me until I was 55 years old to think about all of this in any detail. And by that time, I had lived through over 2,800 Saturdays. And I got to thinking, and if I lived to be 75, I had only about 1,000 Saturdays left to enjoy. 
So I went to a toy store and I bought every marble they had. My kids, I had to visit three toy stores to get a thousand marbles. I took them home and I put them inside a large clear plastic container right here, right here in the shack next to my gear. And every Saturday since then, I have taken out one marble and thrown it away. And I found, by watching the marbles diminish, I focused more on the really important things in life. You know, there's nothing like watching your time here on this earth run out to help you get your priorities straight. Now let me tell you one last thing before I sign off with you and take my lovely wife out for breakfast. This morning, I took the very last marble out of the container. I figure if I make it till next Saturday, then I've been given a little extra time one thing we can all use is just a little more time. Well, it was nice to meet you, Tom. And I hope you can spend more time with your family. And I hope to meet you again along the band. Now, this is the old man on K9NZQ. Clear and going QRT. Come on, honey. I'm taking you and the kids out for breakfast. Well, what brought this on? Nothing special. You know, it has been a while since we spent a Saturday with the kids. Let's go by the toy store and let the kids pick something out. I want to get some marbles while we're there. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.